This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Jackie. Wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Your suffering will be legendary even in hell. It's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all blow down here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, you're doomed. On our show tonight, Howling Under the Full Moon, we will explore Charles Band's Empire Full Moon Entertainment. We've got trancers, sci-fi epics, and vampires all in one place. When you need a break from reality, let our host show you through the madhouse of killer bombs, psychopathic cookies, and maniacal puppets. Don't be a squid and join us in the fun. She killed 13 prisoners and injured two guards. Remember me, your old pal, McNulty? She said two words in five years. Jack Death. She's after Jack Death. There's only one place to look. Where's that? Los Angeles, 1988. Put her away once, I can do it again. A mailman, a little old lady, a guy telling you newspapers. She could be anyone you meet. Hey, can you please take that thing out of my face? Sorry, right, Power. Just a little jumpy around here. Alrighty, folks, welcome once again to Howling at the Full Moon from Cinema Degeneration Network. I am your host, Cameron Scott. This is my co-host, Dustin Hubbard, and we got a nifty little double feature for you this evening. Are you excited as I am, Dustin? I am, actually. These are two good ones. Oh, uh, yeah, these are ones that... Actually, Charlie is the one that sold me on Transfers 1.5. When I met him several years ago... Uh, at Cinema Wasteland Convention there in Strongsville, Ohio. He was pushing uh, Transfers 1.5. He was pu pushing Full Moon Streaming, which was just new at the time. And uh, I got a free uh, Blu-ray and a DVD for signing up, and this is the one that I I, I grabbed because I was just like, oh, more Jack Death? Like, this I thought was never going to happen. So this is the one I instantly picked up that, and then, of course, I had to get Subspecies on Blu-ray as well, but that's... That's another one for another time, but these two films, Transfers 1.5, a.k.a. Transfers, The City of Lost Angels, and the second part of the anthology, The Evil Clergyman. These are the two that we're going to be reviewing tonight. Both very short films. Uh, Transfers 1.5 is only 24 minutes. I think uh, Evil Clergyman clocks in at 28, 29, um, somewhere in around there. But these were both supposed to be part of the Pulse Pounders anthology, right? That never that, came to be. Correct. 
Yeah, Pulse Pounders was fully shot, and the 35mm Master was presumably lost uh, in a, you know, uh, development house somewhere over the years as, you know, inventories passed from place to place, places shut down, you know. So the 35mm was lost, but the... There was a VHS master that was found uh, about 24 years later that featured, that had the entire film on it. And now, that's what these two masters were. That's what these two uh, shorts were mastered from. Now, the proposed Dungeon Master 2 segment never did see the light of day, though, did it? That never did quite get finished. To date, it has not surfaced, no. Which is sad. Uh, I keep hoping that, that it'll s somehow, you know, find its way to, e even if it doesn't make a physical release, just to see it streaming in some form or another. But, you know, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to cry about it because this gave us something that us fans, I think, we, we thought would never, uh, at least I know I thought was never going to happen. We, we we get a little mother taste of Jack Death. And considering the episode that we just cov uh, covered here, um, doing Transfers 1 here previously, I think it's very uh, fitting that we're doing Transfers 1.5, you know, so it nestles right in between uh, Transfers 1 and Transfers 2. And again, uh, as you just said, you know, for those of you who are listening at home, uh, Dustin just said, you know, this was shot with... Uh, with Empire Pictures at the time in 88, because, you know, with, with the collapse of Empire Pictures, a lot of these projects just were shut down and never saw the light of day, but these did get picked back up. Uh, but, you know, the, the negative being lost for almost 30 years, I, I think it's a, a miracle that even the, the VHS copy was found. You know, true because if unless that 35 millimeter print ever surfaces, these are unfortunately the best these two shorts are gonna look, which they look just kind of like cleaned up VHS, and that's just kind of you know the nature of it. But you know, as fans, we just got to be thankful that something was found because that was like the holy grail of lost, you know, Charles Band productions. Which, in and of itself, Pulse Pounders was a very unique project to begin with because it was a proposed anthology that was basically sequels or thematic continuations of previous films. You know, obviously, right. Transfers and Dungeon Master being two basically short film sequels and Evil Clergyman being basically a thematic continuation from the world of, you know, Reanimator and from beyond. So. Right, right. I mean, because even with Evil Clergyman, we got, I mean, the the whole idea of it being based on H.P. Lovecraft's story. We got the cast, you know, with uh, Jeffrey Combs, David Gale, Barbara Crampton. You know, it, it, it just consider it almost a miracle that we were a, even able to get a VHS uh, version of this. So, and I think it kind of yeah. like it's it's fitting that way. You know, it it, it makes it feel a little bit more retro. You know, I would love to see a cleaned up version of it, but, you know, I'm I'm happy to just get any version of it. So while we're talking about it, let's go right off into Transfers 1.5, a.k.a. City of Los, An Lost Angels. 
Um, you know, it brings back most of the original players, most of the, you know, the, the OG players, you know, you got Tim Thomerson as Jack Death. You get, uh, you know, Helen Hunt as Lena, Allison Croft as Little McNulty. You got Art LeFleur as uh, McNulty. Telma, uh, Telma Hopkins, you know, pretty much everybody. But we do have a new villain. This time it's Edlin Shock, played by Velvet Rhodes. And she is uh, <laughs> quite something to behold. She is a badass. She is probably one of the most, like, what little do we get to see of her? Because it does feel almost like it. The film feels semi-incomplete. You know, it feels like there's some special effects shots missing or some some parts that are just edited a little strange. But again, I'm not knocking it because we get more Jack Death and that's all that matters. But, you know, you know, um, it's, you know, it, to, they say that, that this character, this new villain, you know, because it starts with McNulty this time instead of Jack Death doing the voiceover, it starts with McNulty. And Art Lafleur, uh, you know, comes in and talks to the warden, played by oh god, what was her name? The warden uh, Grace. Grace Zabriskie. Zabriskie, that's it. I know her mostly from Twin Peaks uh, as the mother of Laura Palmer, you know, and she's a great actress. She's also very intense. They don't show they don't show a whole lot of her. She's her part isn't very big, but she introduces Edlin Shock. What's that? Oh yeah, her part is just very brief. <laughs> But she's always she's always great. You know, she she does really well with what little they give her. But when she introduces Edlin Shock, you know, it's supposed to be, you know, one of these like, you know, a, a killer assassin. But, you know, we're getting a little ahead, ahead of ourselves. Let me go ahead and give the brief IMDb synopsis while we're getting off into the beginning here, which is as follows. A trained female assassin escapes from a maximum security holding cell and travels to 1988 to kill Jack Death. And it seems like, you know, that's pretty fair representation of what it is. You know, uh, it, it, it's, it's just a very short film. Again, you know, it's just the chapter of an anthology. It's too bad that it's not a feature film. I would have loved to see a feature of it because we get more Jack Death. But uh, <laughs> but I love when they introduce the Edlin Shock character, you know, when the warden is talking about her. They said, you know, she, what they, they said she killed 13 inmates and two... I think it was guards all over a pack of cigarettes. So that kind of leads you to know just how badass she is and how unhinged she really is. Yeah, she's a beast. Oh, yeah, she's a beast. (laughs) And she's only said two words in five years that she's been in confinement, and which were Jack Death. So, you know, foreshadowing. (laughs) Then we jump back to 1988. Jack is, once again, as we were just saying a few moments ago with – Transfers one, Jack and Lena are having trouble. I mean, Lena's throwing plates, breaking his favorite coffee mug, (laughs) throwing his papers all around because basically Jack has turned into a lazy bum that just wants to watch Peter Gunn. You know, he's still he's still from the first movie. He's still just watching Peter Gunn reruns. (laughs) And, uh, you know, then, of course, you know, little McNulty shows back up. I I, I much like. I like little McNulty, uh, Allison Croft, much better in this one. Her acting chops had, had improved quite a bit, you know, uh, from yeah. the first movie, you know, in, in a couple of short years. So I appreciated uh, her as little McNulty or baby McNulty in this one. Mm-hmm. 
But, you know, the, the fact that, like, he Jack's just kind of given up at this point. He just hands her a bottle of, uh, hands McNulty a bottle of Irish whiskey and just lets her drink. She's like, like 15, 16, but he's just like, I don't care. I've given up. Just drink all you want. And the, <laughs> the, 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 the scene, like, it, it got to me the first time I watched it. I, I was starting to think, like, Jack's not really a good cop in this chapter. Like, his skills have, like, I was starting to think, like, you know, he's just, like, getting played here because, you know, at first, you know, a guy pops in the window that's supposed to be there um, fixing a hole in the roof, you know, their place because it's raining and it's leaking like a sieve. And he lets him go, and I'm like, okay, that guy's just fodder. And listen, you know, obviously I've seen it four or five times now. But the first time after that happens, the the girl shows up that uh, that they think is McNulty, or not think is McNulty, but think is uh, Edlin Shock. But <laughs> it's, it's just funny because it, you know, it, it plays out like a, a true film noir movie again, just like oh. the first movie. It still has that, you know what I mean? It still has that feel of like Humphrey Bogart to it. Yeah. And it's it has a very sitcom feel to me in a way too, because there's literally just like two, three sets and that's it. Like everything happens within a very like singular closed space. You've got like the lab and his uh, whatever the, is it? Like, <laughs> I'm not even sure. Was it their home or like his office, his, their home, I guess. Yeah. Uh, home slash office. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm like, his name's on the door. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I think he was just like using two, you know, two to one, two is one, so to speak. Yeah. But it's but, like, uh, yeah, it's very contained and basic, like a sitcom, you know? It's like you got the got the living room and the kitchen, you know? Like, right. those are your main, like, sitcom locations. So it's like, that's very much like this. Like, you got your lab and the, the, the house. And, like, yeah. it's like the hallway, and that's it. <laughs> you know, it was kind of a little bit like a sitcom. It was like Big Bang Theory, you know? You had the lab, you had the apartment. That's all you had. Yeah. <laughs> but when the girl comes in... Like, the first time I watched it, I'm thinking, okay, this girl is obviously Edlin Shock. Don't let her in. They just told, you know, McNulty just told you that she's here to kill you. And this strange, you know, then fatal shows up. And that's the point where I made a note, like, is Jack Jack just really not a a, a good cop in this no. chapter? But no, I mean, it, 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 it literally wasn't her. You know, I, I it plays out very quickly, you know, because, again, being 24 minutes, it moves along really quickly and then it turns out it really was the roofing guy all along you know that that he yeah. was the one that ended up being Edlin shock <laughs> and i don't know the actor playing who played uh, the roofing guy because i i looked at the cast on imdb and on wikipedia and there's no listing for his for his character at all yeah there's the one issue i think with a lot of these movies having been lost for so long is that a lot of the records might not exist <laughs> so i feel like in the opening cr in the credits for this movie because there are no end credits on either of these movies technically no yeah from this and for this specific uh segment they don't even bill uh velvet roads as having played edlin shock they don't bill the roofer and I don't believe they build the femme fatale that shows up either. No, no, she's, yeah, she's not uh, listed at all either. Uh, someone has listed Velvet 
on the IMDb, but the other two performers are just mysteries. Yeah, they're just MIA. So. Yeah, it would be nice to know like who they were, you know. But I know, I know, Velvet. Lost in time. Yeah, I mean, it's it's good that Velvet Rhodes is listed on here because you know she is part of, you know, Jack's Rogues Gallery of villains, you know. But she actually did die just this year. Oh really? I was not aware of that. She died in July. Yeah, July twenty fifth, at the age of seventy. Yeah, so that's a shame. So. It is a shame. Well, hopefully she saw this before she passed. So. Yeah, hopefully she did. She got to see her hard work, you know, come to fruition. Well, that that's that's sad. Rest in peace. Considering that her as a villain in this is very relegated to the opening sequence, as they roll her out. I'm I'm fascinated by some of the technology uh, creations in these movies. Like one that I didn't mention in the prior one was when Jack is in the the diner. When they signal for help, they hit that thing that shoots the laser beam into the sky <laughs> as like a yeah. signal, like a like a flare like, gun, I guess, for the future. Yeah, like a flare and, gun meets laser show meets Batman signal. Yeah. And in this one, like when they're transporting Edwin, she's like shackled upward onto like a like a pulley system that like works through the the roof, like the ceiling of the building, so they can just like. <laughs> It's so weird. <laughs> like, but I, I liked it. Like, it, it I, I wanted it explained to me in, in, in more detail, but like, I, I enjoyed it. Like, just like the language that uh, comes from these transfers movies, they have their like, they have their own, you know, gizmos, their own, yeah. you know, their own techno technology and whatnot. That's yeah. just solely their own. And it's stuff that's so brief that if it's super weird or seems illogical, it's not there long enough to really dwell on anyway. So, which also is is good. Right, right. But you, like you did say before, this did feel much like a like a science fiction sitcom episode, yeah. which I'm totally fine with. You know, which is very funny that you know because that's what Helen Hunt went on to become famous for you know in, in later oh. years was doing mad about you so the fact that it kind of plays like a sitcom is very befitting i think yep and i love trying to over rationalize characters as not typical behavior and stuff and you know jack might not be as on point as he should be in 1.5 because he's been blindsided by lena and, you know, his his guards have come down again, you know, after having lost his wife and he's, you know, fallen in love again. And then she she jilts him. So he might just be like, you know, off guard. And that might be why he's not as good of a cop at the moment, because he just got dumped. Oh, yeah. yeah very true. Very true. I'm, I'm, stressing, you know, I'm, I'm making things make sense for me. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, we're both filmmakers. It's something we do, you know. It's just like I'm sure, you know, even when characters aren't given a backstory, if you're anything like me, you're creating backstory of your own just for your own, you know. What is the usage. inner monologue that got you there in the first place? Yeah. Yeah, so. right. Exactly. But, yeah, I mean, it's very over very quickly, you know. Uh, I mean, the the... I have to say one thing. It turns out, like, when it turns out that it was the roofing guy after all... And Jack and the roofing guy are <laughs> hiding. And mm-hmm. McNulty is such a horrible shot that he shoots Jack in the neck <laughs> with, with the antidote to send him back up the line. And the, all Jack can do is just look at him and go, nice shot, and then boom, fall down. 
<laughs> and then, but then we get a we get more like uh, in the future in the year twenty you know twenty two forty seven, uh, which I'm assuming it's probably twenty two fifty by now, but. <laughs> You know, they never quite tell you, but they don't need to. But we get a future fight in the in the little holding tank that they have for them. Uh, or we'll have for. Uh, oh, gosh, for Velvet Roads as, as yeah. Ed, Edlin Shock. Yeah, I keep calling them by the actors names. But mm-hmm. like, I love the future fight. And this is the point where I wrote down yet again, like I did in the last show. Nobody takes or sells a punch like Tim Thomerson, you know, and he is saved again by (laughs) something that you wouldn't expect. Like in the previous film in transfers one, he's saved by uh, an ex, you know, major league baseball pitcher throwing garbage at the main bad guy that takes, helps take him out. And this one, he pulls out a tube of hair pomade because as we all know, dry hair is for squids. (laughs) <laughs> and he puts it all over the the uh, the ladder that he's crawling up to get to the roof, and that's how Edlin falls to her death. She g- grabs onto it, starts to slip, and slips and falls uh, all the way down. <laughs> yeah, which we never. She's a very flat, just sort of like WTF like defeat at the end of this one, the same as Whistler <laughs> does in the first one. Yeah, I was gonna say like the 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 end for the bad guys like with Richard Lynch later on and Andy Robinson in later sequels and two and three and so forth. The, the the bad guys put up a little bit better of a fight and didn't have quite so much of a what the fuck kind of ending as you yeah. just put. But, you know, it's very flat. It, yeah, then again, all the later sequels, dude. Like they get like they actually do go out like bosses in a lot of the other sequels. Like the first the first one in this short they both get defeated really bizarrely in simple ways so yes. she doesn't even like try and grab onto any other spot she just sort of like slides off and whoop, she's gone yep. and that's the end it's over very uh very very quickly and as i wrote here Jack Death saved by hair pomade. Yep. I feel like even at the end of like part six, they blow up the lead villain's head. <laughs> like they do, don't they? They do. I hadn't seen yeah, that in so long. Like, I forgot, but yeah, like they the blow it up. Point in the movie when they like blow up the woman's head. Yeah. So even tra- even Transfer Six has got that going for it. Which... <laughs> yeah, Transfer Six. I'm looking at you once again. Giving you the side eye, but anyway, <laughs> then we got the best line, line of besides the dry hairs for squids, which is just an ongoing line that Jack always has. It's, it's his, that's his uh, I'll be back kind of line. But I love, you know, like uh, when he's talking to uh, Reigns, uh, telling the Hopkins up on the roof after he, after uh, Edlin Shock falls to her death. And he's like, you know, you want you want to stick around? You know, we could use you here. In you know New L.A., but he's like you know this is a nice year to visit, but I wouldn't want to live here because mm-hmm. he's he's done got a taste of what like the '80s were like, and considering you know the kind of dystopian future that you know the twenty two forty seven had become, even I would want to go back to the '80s. <laughs> and know? I would I would I would think that his his abuse of the technology by basically usurping Phil's body 
for the rest of time would be severely frowned upon by like the political structure of the future, but they seem to just let it slide. Yeah, they just let it slide because who's going to argue with Jack? You know, I think that's just it. You know, Pretty nobody. Much he'd, just, he'd do it anyway and not ask for permission. And if you said no, he'd say, "Fuck him, I'm going to yeah. do it anyway." Because that's exactly what Jack would say. Fuck him. But I do like the little nice little capper we have at the end where he asks uh, Reigns to send him back a couple hours earlier so he could fix his relationship with uh, Lena because she essentially leaves him, you know, two minutes into the into uh, the short, you know, but now he's cleaned the place up. He's set up a candlelight dinner. You know, he's gotten his act together and uh essentially saves his relationship at least for the time being because anybody that knows these movies knows it's still a very much a rocky road by the time we get to transfers two and three with uh wives and ex-wives and dead wives and wives that are alive but not dead and and you know the the women are fighting over jack but they're mostly fighting with him so he's still got his uh relationship issues to the fuck with here in a, in a couple of sequels but you know, Reigns helps him save save face, at least for the time being. And that is the end of our first short. Now, I, I thought we could either save the ratings for the end, but let's why don't we just go ahead and give our ratings for this part of the anthology right now. And uh, you know the, the rules, Dustin. Uh, guess goes first. So what do you rate uh, Transfers 1.5 on a scale from 1 to 10? Uh, I think in you know in the in the scope of the franchise, getting a little nugget like this was you know a, an unforeseen blessing. You know, getting a probably the only other film that genuinely has the the look and the tone and vibe of the OG, and probably because it's it's the only other one that was written by Bilson and DeMeo. So they they still had the, you know, the whole vibe going, um, but it plays really well. It's it's a quick, simple story. We get all of our key players back, you know, and like I said, it plays off like a really both both of these ones. And, you know, we'll get into the other one after this, but they both play off like almost plays. You know, because they're just they're such basic one one two location things. You know, with just a, an extended scenes. You know, in the same spot, but uh, it plays off really well. I I still question as to whether like when things got fixed and he went back, like would McNulty little McNulty still be coming to the door if he fixed. Things. Yeah. The science there isn't uh, very exact. I think but... I'm reading too much into the the philosophies of you know like logics of time travel, which isn't a real thing to begin with. So, but um, right. <laughs> it gives us that extra little you know like joke of him you know seeing her at the door again. But uh, overall, I think it's a really fun short. Like I said, it's it's not too complicated. It doesn't wear out its welcome. You get all your, you know, favorite characters from the first one back. Uh, yeah, I mean, it pretty much had everybody but uh, Hap Ashby came back, you know, but everybody else was there. 
totally. Yeah, Hap was the only one not invited to this party. But there was no room for him. There wasn't anywhere to play baseball. So no, no, nowhere to play drunk <laughs> baseball or play drunk baseball with a with a bottle. So, um, <laughs> so right. But overall, it's a it's a super fun short. Uh, I would out of the one to ten, I would give it a seven. It's super fun. I just think you know it's kind of as a fan, I watch it and I'm like you know I'm digging this so much, but I want more. So right. you know. But it's a it's a fun it's a fun view. Definitely recommend it if you like Tim Thomerson or Transfers in general. Yeah, it, it it just gave us something that I think us as fans thought we were never going to see again. You know, especially seeing Young Jack, you know, uh, back again. You know, just a, a, you know, essentially a lost film that was just by a miracle found and released. You know, uh, I I love it even despite some of the, the faults that it has, you know, and the, the inconsistencies of, like you said, of the science of time travel, which is something that does not exist anyway. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. you know, we can bicker about, like, what would happen with time travel and whether or not McDulty would have, like, came back again to, to warn him of what it was going on because he had already taken care of it. But, you yeah, know, you can forgive those sorts of things. Because, totally. again, it gives us more Jack Death, it gives us more Tim Thomerson, it brings the whole old gang back together, and, you know, I never thought we'd see the light of day where we get more Jack Death. You know, it does play a little bit like, like you said, like a play or like a one-off episode of, a, a, you know, a, a, not a franchise, what's the word I'm looking for, a sitcom, sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, it does have the, the most feel like the original than the rest of the other sequels again you said uh, as you put it you know the writers coming back you know that was their game they knew the world that they had created so it just worked out that way and i'm glad we got it um i'm coming in just slightly higher than you i'm coming in at a 7.5 i still think it's very solid um i think i kind of like it better than a few of the later sequels and like around the same uh you know level of sequel is like uh part four part five you know again we, we talked about transfers my favorite is part three but yeah it, it was it was great it was when i heard it that it was existed i thought it was a joke i thought it was really it was kind of like when to be quite honest i, I relegate this to a, another series like when uh phantasm five the trailer for that came out and they were talking hey that's a completed film and we're going to release it i was just like bullshit Never yeah. happened. Never going to happen. It was just like when I was like, oh, there's a Transfers 1.5, uh, you know, a anthology short that never saw the release of the light of day. And I'm like, you know, I- I'm a disbeliever. I was a disbeliever. I'm like, I will believe it when I saw see it. And about a year after that is when uh, old Charlie can convinced me to uh, get full moon streaming. And then I got my my free bonus copy of uh, Transfer City of Angels. and made believer out of me i was this way well hot damn i'm holding <laughs> it in my hands now it's a fucking reality you know yeah. so that I was love- that was basically me back when uh i heard that you know they were going to do a an evil dead tv show and i'm like ha that'll never happen they can't even oh. make a fourth movie why the, why the hell would they make a tv series and then here i am over here eating my words after i get like three years worth of you know like 30 <laughs> episodes of ash versus the evil dead and i'm like okay i'm I'm wrong. <laughs> like, 
I, I will eat crow when, when when I am wrong. You know, I, I'm the first one to admit when I am fully wrong. And that was another series that I was just like, I will believe it when I see it. I remember I, <laughs> I was I was like, it ain't never gonna happen. I just kept saying this, like you said, they, they couldn't get a fourth movie off the ground. Yeah, they're going to get a weekly TV series going. Yeah, why the hell would they get a TV show if they can't even make one movie? <laughs> but then it happened, and we got three beautiful, glorious years of, of Ash returning to the screen. So, Very you know, true. when it comes to things like that, I have no problem being in the wrong. They, they can prove me wrong all day. Same here. All right. On to... Chapter two or part two of our Pulse Pounders double feature, The Evil Clergyman. Now that I killed myself, that I committed suicide. Yes. It's true. I did. I don't understand. No. It's really quite simple. There is no IMDb synopsis for this, but it is essentially uh, a Lovecraftian uh, adaptation about, you know, uh, it's kind of, it's a, it's a really twisted love story. You know, I, I mean, that's basically what it is. It starts off with Barbara Crampton going to this, you know, castle, which I'm sure that must have been Charlie's castle, if I'm right. Like right. Had, had to have been, had to be one wing of the 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 chapter uh, the castle that we never got to see before you know she gets to the landlady the landlady lets her lets her in you know but uh tells her i think to the point where she's like you know oh i know you miss brady you're the one that has the unhealthy obsession with sex and death well well don't they all and i'm just like <laughs> well this is a lovecraft story it's modeled in the same vein as you know reanimator and from beyond so and it has barbara crampton in it so you know there's going to be some unhealthy obsession with sex and death it's just just the way it goes <laughs> yep now i have been like i had never seen this before so when we talked about doing a double feature this was one that again that it just slipped by me you know over the years even when it was streaming i just had never seen it is this one of those like oh i'll get to it i'll get to it i'll see it you know but i just never did and God, I'm so glad I watched this today. You know, it, it makes me long for for the days when Stuart Gordon was, you know, directing for Empire and Full Moon, and we were getting, you know, good, really great H.P. Lovecraft adaptations. Because it really has that stamp. It really, I mean, no Charlie directed it, but it had a real feel like, it felt like a Stuart Gordon movie hybrid with a Lucio Fulci film. It feels... Yeah. The way it was shot, the shot composition, you know, and uh, the way it's framed just very much felt like if uh, Fulci had ever gotten his hands on an H.P. Lovecraft story. Yes. 
And the castle is just beautiful. The location is just, I mean, there's a lot of things that sell this film. I mean, it's got Barbara Crampton as said Brady, uh, got Jeffrey Combs as Jonathan or the ghost, you know, David uh, Warner as the bishop and David Gale. No, he was, that was the gem. I did not know going into this, David Gale was in it. So I was really happy to, to find that out. I was super happy, but, uh, but David Gale as a rat creature. And, you know, the, once again, you know, effects work by John Carl Beekler, you know, and, you know, he's, he's great at creating those little creatures and shit that this, this where I know he was very prolific with special effects and, and was a director and whatnot. But like I associate him with like creating little creatures, you know, and God damn it if he wasn't great at it, you know. That that's why like an episode that we just did here recently with on Ouija's, you know, rightly rightfully so that was dedicated to John Carl because that man he he was a boss doing that. So I I, I like the fact that that some of his work that was missing over the years was you know saved with this film. It and it doesn't hurt it that it's it doesn't really hurt it very much that it was rescued from a VHS print. You know, I mean it it looks grainy. It looks you know it's gonna only look so good as a cleaned up VHS can look, but it it, it does really look very good for you know something that was only saved from a you know a VHS work print. I think it looks really good. I think that aesthetic visual aesthetic actually works a lot better for this short over transfers 1.5 as well yes it it, it seems to kind of with this short in the evil clergyman it, that look aids it a lot better than it did with transfers i think a little bit of it i think the clarity of the of the transfers print the the clear <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> the clarity of the transfers print was also a little less it was a little less clear than the the evil clergyman print yes but we'll get off into the story which is very simple i mean she's going there uh miss brady is going there barbara crampton is going into this place and the landlady is like being very weird i always i have a weird feeling with people who touch other people's faces in movies <laughs> face touching like she grabs her by the face and just holds it there and you know there's a lot of that that happens in these kind of movies and horror movies and genre films of people holding and touching other people's faces and that said person letting them do it because yeah. it's just it's very weird because nobody does that in reality nobody grabs I, your face that doesn't know you and does that i see what you i see what you did there that said person letting <laughs> you do it Thank you very much. Thank you. Very <laughs> much. I'm here all week. Try the deal. She did let her do it. So yeah, she did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but she did just let it happen. I mean, has anybody ever grabbed your face ever in your life? And you're like, other than maybe like a close family member that you were just like, oh, okay, this person that's a perfect kind of stranger is just I'm, grabbing my face and holding I'm on to weirdo. it. I'm a weirdo. Unless I like know you, know you. I don't even. I get creeped out by people I don't know very well, even calling me by name. I find that bothersome. So (laughs) touch my face. That's a whole other world of like, get the fuck away from me. 
I don't like people people uh, that I don't know calling me by my name either. If that, especially if they just met me and they're like, "Oh, hey, Cameron, Cameron, this, Cameron, that." Like you don't don't know yeah, me I'm, that I'm well just yet. Like, Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, let alone touching me, like you know, other than like an introductory handshake, I don't, I don't want any strangers touching me, let alone my face. Not at all. That's too. That's that's in my bubble. Yeah, yeah, that's it. But that being said, we'll we'll move on here. But uh, uh, where are we going from here? Uh, the landlady uh, does warn her about the rats in the walls, so we get a pre-warning about rats in the walls b- before then, and. You know, she's going there to basically be in the place of her former lover, is at least what I got from the idea, was that the Jeffrey Combs character, Jonathan, was a priest, a clergyman, that, you know, had this tumultuous affair with Barbara Crampton's character, Ms. Brady. And, you know, she's going there to kind of touch base with him. She feels that he's still there, and he really still is he is still there in a way there's that really creepy scene where he's she's standing there and she hears him talking and from behind her these arms are coming up from behind her and grabbing her groping her and caressing her and everything and when she spins around there's nothing there very creepy very creepy and then all of a sudden poof jonathan just appears in front of her two seconds later so we get the, you know, through the story, we find out that Jonathan had killed himself. He had killed himself in that room by hanging himself. And, you know, so she, she but she still, like, has sex with his ghost, which I'm not sure about the logistics of that. Mm-hmm. The fact that I don't believe in ghosts or, or believe in the uh, paranormal, the supernatural, I, I, I don't know the logistics of how they can do that. But, you know. Uh, go go for it, Jeffrey Combs, getting down with Barbara Crampton, you know. Uh, it's definitely Herbert West wasn't going to get anything with it, get anywhere <laughs> with that, you know. But, uh, you know, again, Jeffrey Combs is just excellent. He is performance guaranteed. Everything he's in, I, I buy his character 110%, and I buy his character here 110%, definitely. you know. But, like... I, I got to ask what you thought when you first saw this and David Gale pops up as the rat creature that's under the mm-hmm. bed while Barbara Crampton and Jeffrey Combs are making love and the camera moves under the bed and there's the rat creature with David Gale's face plastered all over it. <laughs> I, I got to ask, what, what did you what did you think of that when you saw that? You know, I knew a little about this segment, but. In all honesty, I was living in a in a post Masters of Horror world where I had already seen um, Stuart Gordon's Dreams in the Witch House episode, which also featured a human faced rat creature. So it didn't throw me off guard as much as it probably did you, because um, <laughs> I just that was already kind of like in my mind as like you know just Lovecraft. Lore. Yeah, something that was in that, <laughs> that Lovecraft wheelhouse. Yeah, totally. So it didn't quite throw me off as much, but the fact that it was David Gale was like a whole other thing because the the guy in the Dreams in the Witch House episode is like a, no one of consequence. Like this is David fucking Gale. So uh, <laughs> very odd casting choice for that for that um, character of you know 
uh, Combs well, is I mean, familiar, but you know it works. I think they just they really wanted to get the get the band back together since it was sort of a thematic continuation of that Lovecraft world they'd already explored with Combs and Crampton and uh, David Gale. So they had to have him. Yeah, so, pretty much had all the major once again almost all the major players back from the you know it's very guess, much so the getting the band back together yeah i guess i would have just expected him to have possibly been been the actual clergyman instead of david warner and because it seems like such an odd choice to put you know david gale in that but you know what david gale i think was a man who was pretty much just up for anything because i feel like he had had you know was like, hey, you got anything for me in Bride of Reanimator? And they're like, well, you, you died. And they were like, well, we can make you, you know, flying head. He's like, cool, <laughs> I'm in. You know, so I, I don't think he really slow some bad ears on you, and you can fly around. Yeah, I think he was just pretty much like game for whatever, you know. So, hey, David, want to be in a giant fucking rat suit on these like jumbo like because the sets. This movie is similar to Dollman versus Demonic Toys, and like maybe Dollman to a degree. I think the original Dollman was a lot of camera tricks and forced perspective, but like with Dollman versus Demonic Toys and Evil Clergyman, they did build jumbo sets that were like six scale, you know, for for his rat character to inhabit. So. There was a lot of work going into that. So, and plus that gigantic like rat suit thing that they st- stuffed it in. Yeah, yeah, that thing was that had to be a horrible experience, you know. And our, like, you know what I mean? To, to be able to 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 try to emote and 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 act in that fucking outfit or in that, you know. And no, no offense to Gail, but I mean, imagine being a man of his age. And having to get down on all fours in a giant thing, rat suit. a giant, <laughs> yeah, like effects prop suit like that had to be really rough for him, I would think. But um, he he clearly did it. <laughs> so yeah. it was oh, it was clearly him. There were there were no uh, extras or stand-ins for him. No, that was all David DeGale. Yeah, that was all. All him. Yeah, this one's it's much, much more basic as opposed to the other one because it's just such a simple, simple setup. It's an evil love, evil ghost love story is yep. what I call it. Pretty but, good. Yeah, and, and David Warner, you know, I mean, he he's also another actor that's just uh, performance guaranteed. God, he's probably been in, what, 100 plus films, I'm sure. Probably even... Probably even more than that. I'm sure he's probably 200 plus. The very classy actor. (laughs) Right. Very regal. Yeah, which is funny, too, looking back to him, like, you know, that they scored David Warner at this point in time, too, in the late 80s. Like, that had to have been a big get for them, honestly. Yeah. So. And, And he's there basically for, what, two scenes? Two, like, basically. Yeah. Yeah, and basically, you know, his big scene is all the exposition, where you know, where he says that he was a bishop that had, uh, you know, that David when he appears, he's like he basically says, you know, the the rat creature is, you know, that's your lover's familiar, one of Jonathan's victims, 
you know, and how the Jonathan character had left his uh, congregation and one woman was left in a, the, a bathtub full of blood and bloodied and dead. And the other one, the other woman was left in a mental institution, you know, and then basically he's there to just give the exposition of who Jonathan is or yeah, at least just, who Jonathan was. Yeah. He just sets up the story and then doesn't do a whole lot of much else. <laughs> he basically shows up towards the end to get uh, beaten to death again or beaten half to death again by Barbara Crampton. Beaten you know, and vanishing. Yeah, <laughs> and beaten <laughs> and vanishing. <laughs> well, then Jeffrey Combs, you know, he seduces, you know, Barbara Crampton's character by hanging himself again. He hangs himself, then he vanishes. Then we get a little bit more rat creature. And but then she, he appears back just and the whole scene of him talking to her of Jeffrey Combs talking to her as Jonathan while he's still hanging, you know, his head is all still cocked. His face is turning blue and he just keeps saying, kiss me, kiss me like mm-hmm. you used to. And yeah. it was just like very creepy, very this, you know, the and then the bishop shows up and screams blasphemy, blasphemer. <laughs> And, you know, and she was, she's so mad, she beats him, like, uh, till he vanishes again, you and know. Hey, she uh, was kissing him like she used to down there. I don't think she wanted him interrupted, so. No, no, she did not, <laughs> no. That was a very intimate moment. She, well, I think she's also mad, not just because they, she, you know, that he interrupted, David Warner interrupted their intimate moment. You know, yeah. like, she screams at it. He was going to let me go. You know, yep. she, you know, she just wants to be let go, so she hangs herself. And then we get another great scene where I, I love David Gale's voice. He has such a commanding presence, but when he's as a rat creature, and he's like, I love you. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, like, I could have taken a whole movie just about that rat creature. Yeah. Like, when the rat ke- creature's like, kiss, kiss, uh, is this... <laughs> you know, and then Jonathan, you know, is is kind of upset because now we get the idea that the the rat creature is really the one that's in charge. You yeah. know, he's, you know, which I thought was a great twist there at the end because he he begs with with the rat creature. He's like, you, I will, I loved her. I really loved her body. He's like, you can have her soul. I want her body. And then I'm not quite sure what happens here, but like Jonathan becomes said yes she i it's funny because he seduced said and then in the end i feel like when he's speaking to the rat it's like he's trying to appeal to the rat and i mean you didn't mention the fact that he he kisses the rat too which i feel like is like a form of him trying to seduce the rat into giving him what he wants which was her body and he he complies and my my understanding it uh, from me watching it is is that he does possess her body and he escapes inside of her body yeah and let's talk about that uh, the, the the kiss sequence <laughs> you, you know the, the, with him kissing that rat creature i was just like oh that was just you think that was still david gale on it <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that it was David Gale. I just saw it as one big fucking nasty, smelly, slimy looking rat. But (laughs) I think that was 110% John Carl uh, Beekler right there. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it was just 
twisted logic, you know, the him kissing the the rat creature to seduce it into giving him what he wanted, uh, which is what the Jonathan character did. He seduced people to give him what they wanted, and he kind of left them with nothing. And I, I love the and then there's lots of more face grabbing <laughs> when hmm. Jonathan, as as said, as Barbara Crampton comes out and sees the, you know, the landlady as she's leaving, she's like, you know, I won't be coming back. You know, you won't ever see me again. And she grabs the old lady's face, the old landlady's face. I'm like, what a face grabbing. Mm-hmm. Why, why? Why so much face grabbing? Why are people so OK with people just touching their face? And me, and it's not just, you know a pandemic thing or a COVID thing. I have never been a big fan of people. I don't know touching me, you know, <laughs> they're touching me in an unwelcoming kind of way, let alone grabbing my face. You know, it's that whole grabbing by the chin and like holding you and shaking your head to be like, nah, get, get out of my bubble. Handling, uh... <laughs> but then we get our last final shot of the rat creature being caught in the big rat trap. <laughs> Which I love. I was just like, oh, that's great. Little David Gale. We're not little David Gale because that guy was a, was a beast. He was tall as hell. But to have him in that rat out that, you know, like you said, you know, when they uh, built the sets, you know, building it to accommodate, you know, his stature, you know, as, as the rat. This makes you appreciate how big that trap must have been, you know, to oh, yeah. have him pinned down. But great little ending, you know. I love that... Um, you know, it, it was great to get another little H.P. Lovecraft story, you know, from the old gang, you know, and, uh, you know, it's it was just uh, brilliantly made. I'm, I'm glad that, you know, these films were found when they were and weren't lost to time, you know, kind of like the whole London After Midnight uh, film with Lon Chaney uh, Sr. You know, is this you can only hope that, you know, one day that those films are found and, you know, we were given a bit of a miracle when these were found. Yeah, so let's go ahead and uh, Dustin, go and give me your final review and rating of the evil clergyman. So evil clergyman is, it's a unique one to me because I think it's, it's one of the, you know, I love Charles band. I love everything that he stands for. I love both of his companies and what they stand for but him as a filmmaker i think that this is actually one of the strongest things that i think he's directed as far as that you know it's contained and everything like the transfers one it's very contained and basic uh much more basic too but it, it is very gothic and moody and atmospheric and i think that uh Just the way that it's put together has such a creepy, classy vibe to it with the dark eroticism and the bizarre creature shit and stuff. To me, it's very reminiscent of like and, you know, in an early form of what we would eventually get with Meridian, which is probably uh, Meridian is a film that didn't age well uh, for some reasons, uh, which we'll discuss when ever we eventually cover that film but um that is a very grandiose classy just kind of like gothic sort of like harlequin romance kind of horror film right 
Yes, that's what I feel like this is to a degree, just on a much smaller level for a 28, 29 minute short. And it's got like big talent, like it's Crampton and Combs and Gale. And still, David, the fact that David Warner was in this blows my mind, too, because David Warner is just one of those like penultimate classy actors in my mind. Like anytime I see him, that it just says class to me. Right. Uh, he'll always be in the back of my mind. He's always Professor Jordan Perry, the TGRI guy from TMNT two. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, but you know what? Like that, that's a role that he's proud of too, though. You know, because it was a, it was an odd uh, chance for him to do comedy. You know, so he's he is a very versatile actor who's done a lot, and I just I'm still wowed that he was even in this. To be honest. Because at that time period, I feel like he was still probably very big. So, uh, overall, I think it's a really fun short. Um, if I were to go back and rewatch either this or Transfers 1.5, I would typically choose to probably watch Transfers 1.5 first because of a love of Jack Death and his world and the, the familiarity and the nostalgia of what that cinematic universe is because it's kind of like a part of me, if that right, makes right. sense. This wouldn't be my first choice to rewatch, but I think cinematically, even though we're looking at a VHS transfer, I think that it is a, a bigger fancier more grandiose project and i think that in the bigger scope of things it is better so uh even though i would watch the other first it's more based on you know memory and nostalgia but this one i think is actually a a, a better put together not that transfers is l less you know quality being put together but it's just uh, a little more polished, perhaps. Yes, it is. It's there's just so many subtle factors that make it really classy. And if you didn't know that this wasn't Stuart Gordon that directed it, I think you might think it was Stuart Gordon directed it, who directed it, because it has that look and the vibe to me. And mm -hmm. Stuart had a had a polish to his work that was very classy and gothic and this is has a classy vibe that's very gothic to me so uh, that's why i think it's probably one of bands more uh, solid directorial efforts so for me i would give it an eight wow once again we are coming in at the at the same level i'd give it an eight as well for a lot of the same reasons, it's just I do feel like it's one of band's best directing jobs uh, or directing work. Like you said, it does have a it's got all the star power, you know, with, with both David's in it, David Gale, David Warner. I mean, the incomparable fucking Jeffrey Combs, which just leads leads a film like no other when he's on camera, he he whether he's subdued or he's full tilt boogie crazy, <laughs> Jeffrey Combs is always good. 
But, and Barbara Crampton, you know, she is a scream queen extraordinaire. Not many people can cry and scream on camera like she can and command a, a scene with such power the way she does. It's got one of the best casts for such a short film. And it, do, it does feel like, you know, like I said, it feels like like Stuart Gordon and Lucio Fulci somehow both came together on the same film as far as thematic qualities. It's just mm -hmm. beautiful locations with the juxtaposition of like having these horribly ugly shots of David Gale as the rat creature, you know, and it's beautiful work. It's not like the, the work is bad. I'm just saying he's ugly. You know, he's got the little rat teeth and he's like, you know, mm -hmm. it's not a, so much a human face as it is a humanoid face. But you can definitely tell it's David Gale. And, but I love it for everything. You know, the the fact that we got the gang back together for another H.P. Lovecraft story, you know. But again, at the same time, I, I've got to agree with you that the Trancers short has more rewatchability for, for me as you know, the nostalgia factor of just, it's yeah. more Jack death. And that's part of something that's ingrained in my DNA. I mean, I was reviewing <laughs> transfer sequels for the school newspaper when I was in high school from a freshman all the way to a senior, nice. you know, so <laughs> I still got some of those old papers too. You know, some of them are falling apart, but I can't bear to get mm -hmm. rid of them. <laughs> and I hate my reviews. I look at them and it's like, Oh God, like my, uh, my re reviewing uh, capabilities have certainly improved over the years. <laughs> I was 16. But yeah, there's just a nostalgia thing that comes with uh, Trancers and Jack Death. But this this movie, you know, uh, The Evil Clergyman is just, it, it's, it's a marvel as far, as far as being part of Charlie Band's work. But this is really... This is him at his best work. You know, this is him at his best directing work. You know, I, I can't think of a movie that he's done. I can think of movies that he's directed that are better, but not ones that look as good, if that makes sense. You know, the the, the gothic look of it. It's like it's like Edgar Allan Poe meets H.P. Lovecraft with a dash of Stuart Gordon and a sprinkle of Lucio Fulci mixed up in a blender. And you have the evil clergyman. That's the best way to describe it. But yeah, eight out of ten as well. It just kind of leads me along for the days of when, you know, they were doing HP Lovecraft adaptations like From Beyond and Reanimator and whatnot. Uh makes me along for the old days and makes you a little nostalgic. And we can only hope that maybe one day uh we'll get the Dungeon Master too that they've been promising uh us or you know, telling us that we're gonna get for I can't even think of how many years now. It, well, since '88, so you know, we got 32 yeah. years. It's so like what Transfers 1.5, I believe, was released in. Or no, I'm sorry, Evil Clergyman was released in 12, and I believe 1.5 was released in 13. So talk of Dungeon Master 2 has been around for eight years. So and then you know, talk just sort of went cold. So. Uh, the status of whatever became of that, or if we're ever going to actually get it, is uh, up in the air. So I, it's they weird because I was never a fan of Dungeon Master personally. I think the original Dungeon Master is a very sloppy, 
hard to watch movie at points, but you know. It's oh, I won't disagree with you there, but there's something I still love. It's worth it for Richard Mull. All right. Oh, yeah, of course. And it's worth it for um, Wasp. For Wasp? Yeah, fucking uh, Blackie Wallace. Oh, that's right. That's right. (laughs) How did I forget that? Jesus. And, you know, maybe like a brief cameo by Phil Fondacaro. So beyond <laughs> that, like it never had like much weight to me as a film. But, uh, you know, it's it's got its strong points. You know, I'm not going to say that it's awful, but uh, I was just never like, oh, man, I got to see. I, I could name names of people I, I know online that are like, oh, whatever happened to Dungeon Master 2? And it's like, be be happy we've gotten what we've gotten so far. Those are the same people that are like, yeah. whatever happened to Primevals? And it's like, well, dude, it takes time. Just, you gotta be patient. You know what? Dungeon Master 2 could still come out. We've It's not like we haven't been waiting for 32 years at this point, you know? Just... Right. You know? It'll eventually come out. There is a market value for it, you know, because... Dungeon Master has a, you know, a legion of modern day fans that probably rediscovered it with the Scream Factory releases. So, you know, if it's going to happen, it'll happen. You just got to be patient. You know, like we were talking earlier about like never uh, thinking that we'd ever get another Evil Dead movie. But then we got three seasons of a TV show, you know, so strange things have happened. It's like if there's and if there's money to be made, you know, from a from a producer standpoint, there's really no reason to not do it. So, you know, because, you know, Charlie likes to make money. You know, he he doesn't like to lose money. If if there's a market for it, you can rest assured if there's a film, he's going to release it. Any producer worth their salt likes to make money. So, like, it's it's just dumb not to release it. For all we know, there could be reasons. You know that have made fixing it or releasing it not as easy as the first two. Who knows? You know, fuck that yeah. part of the tape could have been damaged. You know, I don't know. It might be un- it might be just a point where it's unfixable, but yeah, you never I mean, know. it, it, it makes me think of like the the Friday box set that just came out, and they discovered that long. You know, they knew someone that ended up having a long lost tape of like the the assembly cut of like Friday two or something, and they had to like. Go on yes, a special I've seen trip it. I own it. <laughs> find that tape and bring it back and stuff. And it's like that tape was old, you know. Like they had to like put that tape through a process of like, you know, to like separate the the film in it. And you know, tape just doesn't last. So no. especially if it's not kept correctly. So I oh, mean, yeah. it, there's so many things that you you got tape deterioration, yeah. molding that happens and whatnot. You know that. You know, this was just, you know, salvaged from a VHS yep. work, work print. So maybe it's just damaged beyond the point of repair where they can't, you know, I'm I'm sure if, if it was any any way, shape or form ready to be released, it would be released. Definitely, because like I said, there's there's certainly a market for it. So there'd be no reason to sit on it. You know, if you want to, you know, split hairs, the only reason that primevals didn't come out sooner was just because it was a sore spot, you know, with with Charlie having lost David Allen, you know. It was right. too difficult to go back and look at that shit, you know. Well, I'm sure it's, it's painful. Just, it's just a reminder, you know, so it's like, 
that's understandable. This, you know, so it's like, but it's coming eventually. Yeah. You know, it's coming. You know, we got two out of three chapters. We got two two out of the three anthology pieces. So you know, two out of three ain't bad. Hopefully, Dungeon Master Two will surface before we, you know, whenever the God God willing, he's here for many more years to come. But you know, Richard Mall ain't young either. You know, no, no, none of these guys. You got to think these were, you know, all adult actors when they were making these movies in the eighties, and you know they're. They might seem timeless and ageless to us, but they're getting up in years. You know, 30, 35 years later, you know, these uh, actors are not, you know, youngins anymore. So yep. it's it's funny, too, when you look back too, because with even Dungeon Master 2, you know, at, the, at that point, Band had already worked with Richard Mull twice, at least on, uh, I believe, Metal Storm and the first Dungeon Master. When he was to the point of doing pulse pounders he was already a hit on night court oh that's right yeah that would have been so, the same time as night court so it's like you know it's he was probably as just as big a get and just in a different way as david warner was you know because he was on like a, an award-winning sitcom that was like that ran for years huge yeah and he was one of i i believe he's one of maybe only two or three people who appeared on i think every episode yeah so, i think he was him, was and, him and harry anderson him and harry anderson and maybe john larroquette everyone else was interchangeable so but uh yeah. you know so i mean it's it was a big deal that they probably had him at that point so uh, I'm sure that was a big part of their budget at that point, too. Yeah, Mull would later return to, you know, the full moon full later and had a, a very brief uh, supporting role in Moonbeam's film Beanstalk. I've never seen that. Early 90s, Beanstalk had... That was part of their fa family fair for Moonbeam, right? Yes, Beanstalk uh, also featured a, a really goofy character played by Margot Kidder. Oh, no kidding. Uh, yeah. No, I, got, I love Margot Kidder. I have to seek it out at some point. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a fun one. Richard Mall, Margot Kidder. It even had David Naughton. You know, fun, fun, fun cast. But yeah, Richard Mall obviously liked Charlie because he came back multiple times, even, even through, you know bigger celebrity much how you know uh, Helen Hunt agreed to return for Trancers 3 even though she was at that time I believe just getting ready to start mad about you but she wanted to come back and make make an appearance in part 3 as you know a, a proper send off to her character because she appreciated the work and you know right. the jobs you know, and what she had done on those films. So she didn't want to leave it hanging, you know. Right, you know, and that's commendable because a lot of people become too big for their britches and, you know, kind of turn their back on the lesser films or the lower films and TV work that they've done. It's nice to see every once in a while that somebody, you know, appreciates the people that help, got, that help them get on the map. But yeah, this has been a, a a good a good reminiscing of these kind of 
these two little short movies, you know. We didn't get the full Pulse Pounders trilogy, but we got two out of three. And like I said before, two out of three ain't bad. And, that, you know, and for those of you at home listening, if you don't have Full Moon streaming, I suggest you get it. Because I believe, uh, other than, I think Transfers 1.5, I know, ha- has a physical release. I, does Evil Clergyman have a physical release? Yes, you can get both uh, Transfers 1.5 and Evil Clergyman on standalone okay. DVDs. Yes. Okay, I thought Evil Clergyman had not gotten a release, but okay, I stand corrected on that. Yeah. But still, I suggest anybody get, get Full Moon streaming because, you know, there's so much good shit on there that you can't get anywhere else. Yeah, and but technically yeah. you can get Transfers 1.5 as well as a special feature on the Transfers Blu-ray as well. Oh, okay. Man, I might have that version just for shits and giggles. You know, <laughs> can't have too many copies of the same movie. Uh, I have many copies. <laughs> <laughs> copies of Transfers across VHS and DVD. So... I'm still like I got it on VHS. I have it on DVD on Blu-ray. The only thing I do not own is a coveted laser disc, but I will have it one day. I one will day, have one day I will build that laser disc collection. Oh, <laughs> uh, this uh, as I often say is an old not obsolete uh you know uh phys- physical format, you know, but yeah, they're slowly dying. They're dying a slow death due to laser rot and deterioration, but that's gonna ha- that's the same thing that happens to VHS and the same thing that's gonna happen to DVDs and Blu-rays in another twenty to thirty years, but I'm I'm still a physical media junkie and probably always will be to my dying day. Same here. <laughs> Well, speaking of being fans of something to our dying day, I think we have uh, solidified our stance of being Full Moon and Charlie Band fans to our dying day. I appreciated doing this little mini double feature uh, with you. And now we can uh, move on to doing Transfers 2. I don't know how soon we'll do it because we want to save some of these, you know, for, for future installments. But I'm anxious to get, you know... Uh, moving on to more of the the Jack Death series because I don't need an excuse to see more Jack Death, but I guess we all could use an excuse to see more Jack Death. But so that being said, folks, you have been listening to Howling at the Full Moon on the Cinema Degeneration Network. I have been your host, Cameron Scott. This has been my co-host, Dustin Hubbard, and we have just covered Transfers 1.5 and The Evil Clergyman. Check them out if you can find them. <laughs>